When's the last time you heard some good news? I mean really good news. Most of the news we hear today is news that sells. That usually means either bad news or fake news. Some of you may even be tempted to give up on the news altogether. But today we hear the story of the only truly good news the world has ever known. Just like all good stories are reflections of the biblical story, every piece of genuinely good news from biblical times down to our own day is an elaboration or a working out of the good news of Jesus. Since this is such a rich passage, and since the calling of the first disciples shows up in the other Gospels, let's just focus on those first two verses the announcement of the good news. Having been baptized by John and tempted in the wilderness, Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Mark's whole gospel is about the good news. It opens the beginning of the good news of Jesus. The reason he's writing is because he has genuinely good news to share with the world. And Mark gives us two summaries of the good news in his opening chapter. First, it is the good news about Jesus. Jesus is the simplest and best summary of the gospel. Jesus is sometimes called the Sunday school answer, right? Every question in Sunday school, the answer is Jesus. But in a real sense, he really is the best answer for someone who says, what is it all about? Look to Jesus. Or when the early disciples said, who do people say that this guy is? They say, come and see, come look at Jesus and you'll see what the gospel is. But second in our passage today, at the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus is proclaiming the good news, which is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. These two summaries actually come together because as we'll see, the kingdom of God has come near to us in the person of Jesus. And this is the best news the world has ever received. So what does it mean? Well, the kingdom of God was one of Jesus's favorite ways of referring to what he was doing. The phrase itself doesn't show up in the Old Testament, but the concept certainly does. In fact, it's one of the main themes of the Old Testament. In many places, God is described as the true king of Israel, and of the whole world for that matter, the one who brings justice and peace on earth. Just a few examples to show you what I mean. The prophet Samuel, you remember, initially objected to the people's cry for a king because he said, you already have a king. God is your king. The Psalms are littered with the expression, the Lord reigns. And the temple, that wonderful symbol of the relationship between God and his people, also is described as a palace with a throne room, the Holy of Holies. And since the temple in Israelite thinking is a model of the universe, Israel's God is the king of the whole world. Or as Mr. Beaver memorably responded to the Pevensey children who inquired about Aslan, the Christ figure in the Narnia books, don't you know he's the king? 
He's the Lord of the whole wood. One of my favorite lines in the books. The problem was, it didn't always look like God was king. It didn't always look like God's just rule was being done on earth as in heaven. The nations of the world often engaged in oppression and violence, and even the people of Israel rebelled against God's rule by disobeying his commands and running after false gods. So another group of passages speak of God's rule as a future hope, as something yet to be realized. The prophet Zechariah, for example, looks forward to the time when the Lord will be king over all the earth. Into this context, Jesus comes and announces that the time has finally come. The kingdom has drawn near with his arrival, with the arrival of the king. It's really a remarkable claim that he's making. All that we've waited for, for God to finally be king, for God to finally execute his just rule, has happened in my arrival. And this is great news. Finally, there would be an end to oppression and violence. Finally, there would be an end to the abuse of power for selfish gain. Finally, there would be justice and peace on the earth. But the problem is, it still doesn't always look like God is king. What we have to remember is that God's kingdom is of a different kind entirely. As Jesus would later say to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Not the same kind of kingdom, that is, as the kingdoms of this world. After all, it couldn't be just another kingdom like any other that secures its ends by force or by threat of violence. If God's just rule was re were really to be established on earth as in heaven, it would mean subjects who willingly embrace and spread his ways of justice and love. You see, the kingdom of God is not defined by geographical boundaries or political alliances. God's kingdom is present wherever the will of the king is done. And it spreads here on earth in every person who responds to the call of Jesus. In every person who turns from selfish ambition to selfless love. In every person who says, following Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. And this can only happen through a profound change of heart. The kind of profound change of heart that God was hoping the prophet Jonah would experience at the end of his story. Jesus came announcing the remarkably good news that God's rule had come in him. So how are we to respond? Jesus tells us to repent and believe in the good news. And this follows a pattern found throughout the Old Testament where acts of divine grace expect an appropriate human response. So Jesus is saying that the appropriate response to the good news that God is establishing his reign on earth is to repent and believe. Since God, God's reign begins in our hearts and flows out through our actions in the world, 
we first need to turn away from any desires and attachments of the heart that keep the love of God from freely flowing in and through us. This means a firm rejection of the way of the world, the way of sin and death, which we are tempted to participate in daily. And that's all some people think Christianity is, a big no, a denial of all the things we really want. But although Christianity begins with a no, it doesn't end there. We say no to the ways of the world, things that will ultimately not make us happy, so that we can say yes to the ways of God, yes to the reign of the Prince of Peace, yes to the life in all its fullness that he came to bring. For the present form of this world is passing away. And the good news is that he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. <laughs>